Hello, and welcome to the Gravel Ride Podcast, where we go deep on the sport of gravel cycling through in-depth interviews with product designers, event organizers, and athletes who are pioneering the sport. I'm your host, Craig Dalton, a lifelong cyclist who discovered gravel cycling back in 2016 and made all the mistakes you don't need to make. I approach each episode as a beginner to unlock all the knowledge you need to become a great gravel cyclist. This week on the podcast, we welcome Brad Devaney from Lightspeed and Obed Bicycles. If you've been around bicycles for a while, you're probably familiar with the Lightspeed Titanium brand. They've been building bikes out of Tennessee since the late 1980s. Brad joined the team as a young man in the early 1990s and has been following his passion within the titanium frame building industry for many, many years since. He's worked with the likes of Greg LeMond and the LA Sheriff Cycling Team. He's worked on projects for NASA and done a ton of exciting things for the industry. You won't meet someone who's more friendly and passionate about the sport of cycling. So we were happy to hear when they turned their attention to gravel cycling a handful of years ago. In addition to the Lightspeed brand, the company also owns the Obid brand. Obid is a direct consumer carbon brand that has been making inroads for the last few years. I've really been impressed by both the refinement of the design in the Obid frame set, it's a modern day gravel bike, but equally impressed with the amount of customization that the team has been able to build into your process. You can customize the paint and decal logos on the Obid models before they're delivered to your door directly. I encourage you to check both brands out and give a listen to this conversation. I think you'll get a lot out of Brad's experience and how he contextualizes the different performance between titanium frames and carbon frames. Before we dive in, I need to thank a new sponsor this week, our friends over at Trek Travel. Those avid listeners may recall I had Ewan Shepard from Trek Travel on the show back in episode 98 in September of 2021 to talk about the Girona gravel experience. Since that time, I've been eyeing a trip with our friends at Trek Travel. I was so excited. Girona comes up so often in both road and gravel cycling as a place you have to discover. Certainly after that conversation with Ewan, I was completely committed ultimately to getting over there. It took a while. COVID got in the way, but I'm now settled in on a trip on November 6th through 10th this year in 2022, and I wanted to invite you to join me. I figured it'd be a great opportunity. I know it's not easy to get over to Europe. There's both the expense and the time you'll need to take, but I couldn't be more thrilled to commit to this trip with Trek Travel and to explore the fabulous trails around Girona. We'll be staying right in the heart of Girona at the Hotel Nord to experience everything the city has to offer. The Trek team is going to design some gravel rides around the undulating and rolling hills around Girona to make sure that we experience everything we can during that week in Spain. I know I'm going to train my butt off to try to be fit because I want to ride everything that's possible to ride in the area. I know this trip gives a lot of flexibility for riders to explore and ride as much or as little as they want during the week. So there'll be options for everybody. I know it's going to be a killer experience and I'm hoping and optimistic that some of you will be able to join me. I'll put a link in the show notes for the Girona gravel bike tour, where you can simply visit trektravel.com and search Girona gravel bike tour. 
I'll be working with the Trek Travel team to put together a little something special for any Gravel Ride podcast guests that join us on that trip. I very much am looking forward to seeing some of you November 6th through November 10th in Spain. With all that said, let's jump right into my conversation with Brad Devaney from Lightspeed and Ovid Bicycles. Hey, Brad, welcome to the show. Oh, it's great to be with you, Craig. I'm excited to continue our conversations. We've interacted a couple times over the years, but it's great to kind of have you on the podcast and just learn a little bit more about you. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. There's a lot of history, right? I mean, the and, and the topic at hand, you know, the, the gravel category. It's it's that it's that common meeting spot we all seem to be finding these days with with old friends and new. I feel like this is a double header episode because we get to talk to you about both the Lightspeed Titanium brand and also the Ovid Carbon brand, and just get your unfiltered opinions on what bikes are good for what types of riders. I think that's going to be a really valuable part of the conversation for the listener. Oh, good, good. Yeah, that's that, that's what fires me up the most. You know, we're, we're, we're really open to multiple materials and, and building what we love. So, yeah. Let's set the stage a little bit just by getting a little bit about your background, how, how you came to be passionate cyclist and ultimately get into the business side of the sport. Yeah, man, I, I don't enjoy talking about myself, but you know, just a, a a kid that grew up racing bicycles, BMX, road, mountain. Was really fortunate to have sponsorship when I was super young, and and you know, bikes being provided and traveling and and living, you know, a kid's dream life, racing bicycles, and you know, everything stayed super competitive through those years. And and uh, part of the I, country it, did you grow up in, Brad? I grew up in the Southeast here in Tennessee and, okay. you know, a lot of, not, not a lot of national events happened here in Tennessee. And, and so my, my base was Atlanta, Georgia, where, uh, you know, where Schwinn bicycle company was a, was a big deal back then. And they had a, a major distribution center there that, that our team was stocked out of. And we would go up to Chicago to headquarters uh, very infrequently in the three years that, that I raced with the team there. And, but there was the cool thing was I was the perfect demographic within the team. I was the perfect age that they were looking to develop new products. And so the bikes that I was riding were typically the prototypes and where the rest of the team were all on production bikes. I was getting some bikes rotated from beneath me and, and that really lit a fire. I didn't, I didn't realize that fire would turn into a career. Did you uh, find but, yourself at that age having that ability to be very discerning about Oh, this frame feels this certain different way, even if the changes were fairly subtle. Yeah, it it, it came to realize sometime later. My dad was he's to this day he's, he's a motorhead. He's he's always tuning something. It's not always race inspired, but he he built some pretty crafty two wheeled and four wheeled race machines through the years. And growing up in a, in a you know where in our garage we were cutting, welding, modifying, strip it down, machine it modify it you know sort of mindset he taught me how to take caged ball bearings and polish them and and use valve grinding compounds and then clean them and what levels of grease and so as an 11 year old kid i went on the road with with a manager and teammates and had the ability to relace a wheel 
And my choice of wheel at that point in time was an Araya 7B. The, the 7X was the hot rim out and it, was, it wasn't a full double wall, but it, it had some channels within the extrusion that were, I felt were unnecessary. And the lighter 7B was just that. It was lighter, it was faster, it was more fragile, of course, but I had Campagnolo track hubs with Araya 7B rims, you know, spec spokes and spec nipples. I was, it was really, really particular as an 11-year-old kid. But to use that particular rim, I had to be able to lace wheels. I, I didn't have that luxury. Even at home, I didn't have that luxury. So when I egg-shaped or, or you know, flat spotted a rim, I could change them out and uh, was was pretty adept at it. So my we would be at a motel, you know, somewhere in Florida or Texas or New York or wherever we were racing on any given weekend. And it wasn't uncommon on a Saturday night between, you know, Saturday and Sunday races that, you know, there would be a, a group of dads sitting around drinking beer, watching the 11 year old monkey lace a wheel because that was kind of a funny thing. <laughs> So what a great yeah. memory. Sorry for the story, but you, no, you I love pulled it. it out of me. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> yes, to answer your question. Yes. Uh, so that was back in your BMX days and sounds like yeah. later you kind of transitioned to road riding and, and mountain bike racing. Yeah. Yeah. The road bike came around first. You know, I was, I was almost 16 working at a local motorcycle shop before I could drive and, you know, good form of transportation was bikes. And, you know, I, I ultimately wanted a really good road bike and and made that happen. And then through my high school years, really loved, loved the road bike and was racing locally off to college with that. And then during college, I was, I was fortunate to have gotten some attention through the local shop and, and got some sponsorship and, and ended up on a Raleigh mountain bike. We were selling Raleigh's, the local rep, you know, saw what I was doing. I was really trying to rep the brand because that's what we were selling. And and uh, we sold GT Raleigh and, you know, a few others, but that was, that was the aggressive rep of the day. And, and he was, he was good to try to find a way to reward me and for what I was trying to do in the shop. And, and uh, that got me my first mountain bike and, you know, off we went. I was, it, it was fun. Great. Years. Yeah. Back those early days of mountain biking were a lot of fun. And I remember there was always the, the shop teams were such an important part of the movement back then, oh, yeah. I feel like. And yeah. you would, you would get your, you know, the brand that you sold in the shop and they would agree to give everybody a pro deal or something on the frames. And it was a really great time to be part of the sport. Yeah. You know, and coming from BMX, the Raleigh thing was kind of cool. Tomac was doing his magic and he, you know, I, I couldn't call him an old friend. He was somebody that I looked up to certainly, you know, BMX and, and, you know, I, I was fortunate to, you know, competed at a, at a good level. It was all age group based. I was never old enough to, to compete as a pro. And as he, you know, kind of broached that, he moved into mountain bikes and, and wow, what a, what a legend he became. But, and that, that was sort of the pattern that I followed in my equipment choices and, and paid really, really close attention to what was happening on the World Cup level of those days. And that was a driver for sure. And so after you hung up your, your sort of racing cleats, so to speak, was it immediately obvious that you wanted to go into the bike business? No, I, I was still racing. I was still racing, working retail, going to school. And that's when, you know, the guys at Lightspeed were, were a local business in the area that I was in. So I was building outside of work. I was building in my own little shop at home where I did overhauls and rebuilds and paint jobs and 
a lot of things, you know, side jobs, I'd do pretty much anything if it involved a bicycle, but I, I was building show bikes for those guys. And, you know, when you're a resource and, and you turn things around as quickly as you can and you're, you know, it, it turned into a job eventually, to be honest. And they, they didn't really care what I was, that I was studying engineering or, you know, they, they just needed extra help. And, and yeah. so I worked in the shop a lot. I, you know, mitered tube sets and aligned bikes and, you know, a lot of things within our operation. But when it came time, you know, I was always ready to, to design as well. And, and that, that fell in pretty naturally. So that's, yeah. and, and I was still competitive at that point in time, road and off-road was, was really my focus. And did you presumably started riding titanium bikes around that time? Yeah, it was tough. I, I'd actually broken, I'd actually broke my Serato. I had a, a hand-me-down 711 bike. It was one of Ron Kiefel's bike. He had, he had won the, we kind of got a little bit of history. I was racing for a team that through True Temper sponsorship here in Tennessee, our team acquired or was able to acquire several of the Motorola, or not Motorola, 711 True Temper Serata built team bikes. They were labeled as Huffies. And so Bob Roll and Andy Hampston and Raul Alcala and, you know, some of those guys of that day and age. But Ron Kiefel was the guy that was closest to my size. And I was able to get one of his bikes out of this batch that True Temper owned and, and got for us. So I'd been racing that bike for a couple of seasons, working here at Lightspeed part and full time. And when I snapped that bike, I was able to, you know, jump onto a loaner bike for a few weeks and then finally worked it out so that I could have my own. So, and that was, it was out of necessity, you know, I, I came yeah. onto titanium out of necessity. And, and that's when I really started going bananas on design elements because, I, you know, I was looking for, I came from top level steel had been working with selling, doing, you know, Syrah, we had a fit cycle and used fit kit and so forth at the retailer yeah. that I'd worked with. So I was pretty passionate about all that. And, you know, when I'm, when I'm out of that environment into a manufacturing environment, I'm still working those tasks and with that mindset out of my own home shop. And uh, yeah, when I jumped on the titanium, I, I wanted to tune things. I wanted to change it. I wanted to, yeah get more of a, not a Columbus SL or SLX tube set. I was looking further ahead to like Columbus Max. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, to contextualize it a little bit for the listener, you know, this was the era where you really had, you had steel bikes and maybe some early aluminum bikes from someone like Cannondale at the time. And titanium was that next level, next generation material that I think at that point was very much a premium product in terms of how much it costs. So it yeah. felt very exotic at the time. It was. And, and, and the tube sets I knew could be advanced. That was, that was one of the things is that if you were looking at a, a light speed, a Merlin, a Moots, you know, there was kind of the three big players at the time, everything was pretty much straight gauge round tube sets. And, you know, I, I wanted to see beyond that. I was, I was, you know, driving towards a cycling specific titanium tube set. It wasn't just titanium. I think that became one of our ad slogans back in, you know, in those early nineties. It's not just titanium, it's light speed titanium. And what made it light speed titanium was the the obsession to create a cycling specific titanium tube set. And we did that by manipulating wall thicknesses, tapering the tubes, 
shaping the tubes and all of that having engineering purpose, not just some visual marketing line. So yeah. that's, that's really what we, and we continue to work by those same principles today. Yeah. It's so interesting given the sort of production process of a carbon frame versus steel or titanium, where you're really manipulating the tubes and you're just, just a lot of handwork that goes into these products. Yeah. 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 Well, we could go long and deep on titanium and the history of that period. It's a you deep know, I hole, was, brother. The deep hole. Let's there back too. away. Let's, let's yeah. come closer to the surface. You got listening <laughs> exactly. to Exactly. We're going to fast forward, but I think we've at least set the stage that you've had your hands on titanium for a few decades now as the Lightspeed brand. More than brand. 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. Which is amazing. And, and the brand is such a storied brand in America, producing in Tennessee. When it came to gravel, starting to come to market. How quickly did Lightspeed kind of move into that territory? You know, one of our brands, Quintana Roo, we've got a, a, a tremendous triathlon following. And not just road cyclists, not just off-road cyclists, but also triathletes were converging into this space. And that, that's, once again, acknowledgement to the beauty of this, this platform. But the, a real innovator within triathlon, founder of the Quintana Roo brand, Dan Enfield. He he drives a, a really good form for multi-sport athletes. And, and he was begging me, please build me a custom gravel bike. And, and we already had a production gravel bike in the works and planned, but we weren't wholly agreeing internally what that might become. And, uh, you know, Dan and I saw pretty eye to eye on this. And so when, when I built his bike, he really, he really chanted and blew a horn and wrote articles and, you know, he, he made it a real focal point of, of his website. Yeah. Yeah. A couple and, points to make just to interrupt for a second. So when Brad talks about multiple brands, American Bicycle Group, the parent company owns Quintana Roo, which is a triathlon brand you mentioned, Lightspeed and Ovid and kind of manages all three brands along the way. So as you're taking inputs, it's just interesting, I think, for the listener to understand that. And then follow-up question on that custom bike, and, and granted, it's going to timestamp it whatever year it was, not this year. What right. was the design spec? What, what did your friend, what was he saying I need for this to be a good, fun gravel bike for me? Yeah, you know, he was really, he was really focused on his road fit specs. And, and Dan has a school of thought that he teaches, he coaches, it's the fist fit methodology and he, he holds classes and I'm certified in it as well as thousands of other people that, that have been through his camps. And I, I have so much respect for that, but we disagree almost every time we get together, you know, he, it's, it's fun to debate with, with someone you love so much. And, but yeah, the, the whole geometry and fit principles were different. And especially in the smaller size bikes, because we've got a longer fork and that creates some design constraints and so forth. But he really, you know, he had this road bike and these are the stack and reach numbers that he wanted on that gravel bike. And I was like, no, buddy, no, no, let's bring that. Let's, let's change that. Let's tailor this. Let's change stem length. Let's, you know, and, and, and what it really came down to was his terra firma was different than mine. You know, his terrain yeah. is different than mine. And what we've learned over time is, you know, there's no wrong answer. It, it's all about where you live and where you ride on a, on a WeFit basis. And so he still has that bike. He still loves that bike. 
I've probably had three or four since then, <laughs> but it's, it's, you know, that's my job is, is to develop and create and, and do new things. But, it, and, and I really don't timestamp anything. It's hard for me to look backwards because I'm, I'm trying to constantly yeah. wake up having forgotten what I knew yesterday and look forward and remain creative and, and look for trends and, and uh, develop them if, if possible. So. Yeah. When when you started to think about gravel cycling and how Lightspeed might play in that market, what attributes of titanium were you thinking, this is great, this is the perfect application of this material? And what potentially what other elements were you thinking, gosh, maybe this is not the best material for this well, type of riding? I mean, you've got to realize I, I came through the 90s with, with a lot of pro cyclists reaching out to me personally, asking for custom bikes that were going to be rebranded for their team use, you know, these yeah. were top level cyclists that were coming for specialty bikes, whether it be a climbing bike, a sprint bike, a time trial bike, whatever the case may be. I'm creating the, all these specialty bikes for over a decade. And as, as we roll into the 2000s, carbon, you know, clearly became king of the elite road. And, and what had changed was the, the sponsorship levels and the number of bikes that any given rider was allocated at, at the pro tour, we're talking about pro tour level riders. They had so many more bikes at their disposal that, you know, the, the old mindset of having that one great climbing bike or that one great time trial bike didn't exist anymore. They had multiples and mechanics were uber busy because they weren't riding around with a couple of vans and, you know, a few team cars they they had semis pulling up stocked full of bikes and equipment and you know sponsorship went up and cost of everything changed and all, with those budgets changing titanium got washed out of the top level just on pure economics it wasn't performance it was pure economics and and then you see those economics swing into the, the retail market and the profitability of carbon became so much higher and titanium was just, it, I won't say it ever became a stepchild, but it still remained a nice elite product, but it was for a more mature cyclist. And it was for a, a cyclist that respected it from a decade prior. Yeah. With those business dynamics changing, our business went, we, you know, we worked through that. And fortunately we had, grown through acquisition. We had other brands are still working with multiple materials and triathlon and road and so forth. But for light speed specifically, I'm looking at my love and my passion for road and off-road cycling coming together. And there was no better material. There was yeah. absolutely no better material. I mean, a great titanium hardtail is still a great titanium hardtail. They make, they make wonderful single speeds. When you start looking at drop bar bikes and a utopian drop bar bike that you could just, you know, whack rocks against it and it's, it doesn't care, titanium's it. And then the ride quality just plays in furthermore. So that I, was, I couldn't have been more fired up to be working and obsessive in this, in this category where I'm just retuning new ideas to different tire volumes and you know the, the whole formula was just just a melting pot for me i I'm, I'm still going nuts having fun with it so 
yeah, yeah your enthusiasm definitely and, transfers. And, and titanium, holy cow. It's, you know, I've got some athletes who, who um, you know, we talk to on a, on a weekly basis that they're, you know, they're begging for both, you know, hey, can I do a, you know, can I ride a tie bike at this event or a carbon bike at that event? And, you know, we struggle with that, trying to represent brands through specific athletes. So, yeah. It challenges yeah, me to make tougher carbon bikes and, and lighter titanium bikes. So, you know, yeah, you're, just, you're you always go. balancing the virtues, right? Yeah, maybe that's a good segue into introducing the carbon brand, which is Obed. Yeah. And just kind of when that came about and what the thinking was. Yeah, so Obed was started because we had, you know, for 20 years, we've been working in the carbon channel. And, and in a value stream where I had developed relationships with and, and one primary primary relationship with a family owned carbon frame maker. And I would go over and visit with them multiple times per year, depending on the number of new products and new projects we had going on. But as, as Quintana Roo was really cruising along product wise and, and quality standards were, were just going so well and, and, you know, that I kind of had, had worked all the product that we really needed to develop. And, and what happens in my job, because I'm a multitasker within our business, you know, I, instead of my development mind, I'm spending more time on process and quality systems and that sort of thing. But with, with some free design space and, and on my calendar, I felt like I really encouraged, you know, the, all of our team members here that, we should consider new products and consider a brand that was, you know, just an adventure outdoor brand. And, and that was just dirt bikes, just fun dirt bikes and off-road bikes. And because it really hasn't been our, our nature as a whole group, uh, you know, I have this passion and it doesn't mean everybody else has to, but at that point in time we were growing and, and a lot of our staff were also dirt minded and the, the economics of, you know, who can afford our bikes internally and externally became a, a an awareness, you know, we, we really yeah. became aware of, of, um, how, how available are we with, with our passions and our products. And so it just made sense that, that we use our current suppliers and our current quality systems to deliver some products. And, and we, we started it with open model product. We didn't even design and invest in tooling. I love that that we started that way and and came with a, a value bike with you know cooperation. I'm developing the 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 or designing and, and the factory was was funding the tooling and we allowed them to sell some of those models outside of our markets and so forth and as we evolved and, and it took off quite quickly, we were able to establish the, the brand itself was, was uh, successful. And now we're, you know, we're producing our own clothes models that, you know, they're exclusive to us. And so, yeah, it was, it's been a really, really good experience for us to re, you know, re-exercise the principles of how we develop products and, and who our customers are and focus on their needs. So, yeah, the timeline actually sounds pretty interesting because, you know, Back three, four years ago, I think it was less defined what a, what the perfect gravel bike was going to look like. Yeah. And through a lot of trial and error from a lot of companies, I think we've arrived at these very, very versatile bikes that can handle 
pretty wide variety of gravel cycling terrain. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun because I, you know, I'm, I may be spending time in a wind tunnel developing super aero cutting edge product. The next thing you know, I'm, I'm out on the dirt trying to find wattage. The most recent was finding the most efficient wheel set for me going to Kansas on the lowest fitness I've ever gone there. <laughs> and and understanding my efficiencies and what zones I need to be riding in. And it was such a good exercise, but I was doing so on a bike that I had had in the wind tunnel and I knew exactly how many watts at what wind speeds and what yaw angles. And I'm, I'm literally thinking about this stuff on course and you know, it's, it's, it's a strange place between my ears, but that's, that's what goes on. This is hearkening back to the kid who was lacing wheels at 11 years old in oh, a hotel brother, room. If you only knew, <laughs> I've, got, I've got a wheel to rebuild right here beside me right now. <laughs> so when we talk about the ground up design that you ultimately arrived at with the Obed, what yeah. are some of the specs? Like what type of tire size? What were some of the takeaways that you kind of took away from that process? You know, First thing is, you know, we want a racier design. We, we had a really universal, super capable bike and, and we wanted the, the option to go fully integrated. So cable free, fully tucked cables or exposed cables. That, yeah. that was one of the design requirements going in. And if you're going to have a super clean, most modern presentation of a bike, it needs to have proven shapes. And so, so I don't know if you can see in this, but you know, I'm showing you a down tube that shrouds a water bottle extremely well, but it, it, it's super functional. This, you know, this isn't a razor arrow shape, but it's so functional at the speeds that we're riding in the winds of wherever I won't just say Kansas, but, and then when, when you get to tire size, you know, this thing's going to house some of the fine tread. 50s, you start getting more knobby, you're, you're stepping down. I mean, if you're getting to a super knobby tire that you think you're going to be loading up with mud, it's going to, it's going to step down proportionately. So, so yeah, we're, we've got amazing tire clearance. You see a, you know, a seat tube relief. So we're not wedging rocks and cracking carbon in a dumb spot. And when I say dumb, non-intelligent spot of the frame that doesn't really have function other than stiffness. And by D-shaping yeah. this tube, I'm picking up stiffness. I'm blowing out a big box section down here that really amplifies some stiffness at the BB. Round seat tube, 31.6, dropper capable. You see this modular brace. Yeah. That actually is so that I don't have to embed rack mounts if a guy wants to put rack or underside. It's tapped and drilled for fender. So just option friendly, but super cutting edge clean racy yeah, I mean, looks, even the seat stays great. have got a really you know aero triangular shape to it can so. i ask you did you say the seat post is 31.6 yeah 31.6 interesting because you know I, i'm just curious to to get your thoughts on why that size yeah so you know we hear that and, and i listen to a lot of people saying and and we sell a lot of titanium seat posts if you're buying a titanium seat post a lot of people say oh it's got to be 27.2 so that you can get the yeah. The soften, more flexy feel. And 316 is is a platform that, you know, I'm not restricted with droppers. I'm not restricted with stationary post. It can be zero offset, rearward offset. I've just got more options available for my customer. Yeah. And uh, that was yeah, a big change. That was a big change in going into this bike. And, you know, we, we do build the component selections and options with our bicycles 
is amazing. Any given model that you buy, you've probably got eight different seat post options. So it was important that every option on our shelf fit the bike. And with 2017, that's not possible. I was playing around on the Obed site today, and I have to say one of the things that I was super excited to see was basically the custom color selector. Yeah, yeah the color blocking that we do is, is a lot I, of fun. So Literally thousands of options. Yeah. So you can, I mean, for the listener, you can choose your, your base color of the frame. You can choose your decal color. You can choose the color of your fork and lots of beautiful options. I have to ask just because of the business geek inside me, how are you doing that operationally? Are you building frames raw and then just leaving them, getting them painted? So yeah, all my carbon, we bring in raw. I, I you know, it's not painted over. There's no fillers, nothing is hidden from me. So our yeah. quality standard is higher on carbon than it's ever been because we do all of the prep work, the sanding, the prep, the base coats, the painting, the graphics application. So it may as well be within defined options and let the customer choose. It, yeah. it allows me, that's very complicated. It's not easy. Um, you know, I'm sure there's MBAs that sit back and look at our business model and say, oh yeah, let's duplicate what these guys are doing. Yeah. No, it's it's not so easy. It, even within, you know, the, what appears to be canned options, how we process yeah, and flow is, is really a learning process. It's very operationally challenging to run a customized yeah. operation. I've, I've yeah. run one myself and, and I hear you. That's why I was so every impressed. Order, I love every single it. order is custom. Yeah, that's, that's what we have to be so are, willing to provide. Are you doing that, that painting in Tennessee then? Oh, yeah. Yeah, every okay. bit of it right here in the building. Yeah. 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 Impressive. Truly impressive. I mean Thank that you. earnestly. Thank you. Yeah, we just completely revamped our, our painting operation. We're, we're actually going to do a little bit of a, a show and tell you know, and, and produce some content that's going to be coming within the next month or so that shows some of how we do it. So yeah, be, be ready to see some of that. Awesome. So, I mean, we started offline talking about when you've got a customer coming through the door, now you've got a world of options. You've got carbon bikes, you've got titanium bikes. How are you helping the consumer navigate those. It's fun. It's so much fun. Holy cow. And I'm always that contradictory guy with our sales team. They, they, it's a love hate relationship. I'm sure for them, I, I love them, but they don't always love me being at, I was talking about being at BWR and, and kind of standing in for some sales folks there so they could participate. But it, it was wonderful to have folks coming up saying, what's the difference? And the difference, number one is are you bothered when rocks fly off the front wheel or your buddy's front wheel and hit the down tube of your bike or the top tube or, you know, hearing those stones hit your bike is bothersome. Toughened composites are, are what we build our bikes with. And that's, that's a big piece of it. These aren't, they're, they're close to what would have been super elite road bikes not too many years ago, but we, you know, we've developed toughened composites to a point that they're very gravel worthy also that they can withstand some chain suck and you know the, the the natural things that happen in gravel riding so durability does lean towards titanium it's it's not impervious but you can dent a titanium bike whereas a carbon you dent it it's going to need a repair it's just it's just fact of the matter ride quality is something that's very tunable in both materials you know it just takes a different skill set in how you develop tube diameters walls shapes thicknesses all of that 
when you're when you're obsessive about creating titanium, we go through that and provide multiple models. So we have a pure race bike. We have what I consider a high performance SUV, and then we've got something that's more of a touring model. But then we also have the full customization. If you need custom geometry, if you need custom tube selection, no problem. We can provide that. That's that's something that our consultation process, we typically take, I say we, engineering will take that order from sales and go into a consultation process with, with that customer and develop the bike. Carbon, believe it or not, isn't always the stiffest. That That's where I start to contradict the you know, the theories of material and it's fun to have demo bikes setting ready to ride and a guy come back and say, wow, that carbon bike was softer than the other, or that carbon bike was softer than that titanium bike, whereas that titanium bike is the softest of them all. And and being able to tune car- titanium above and below what is considered now the carbon standard is a lot of fun for me, but having a really well-tuned carbon bike and our offering is, is so gratifying. And that's that's what's really gone into this latest GVR model that uh, yeah. that I was just holding up and using as an example is it's, it's got vertical compliance. The bike, when you stand, when you corner, the bike rips. It just, it, it responds really, really well. And uh, it's, a, it's a platform that, that I look forward to how we continue to provide that and, and what may come years down the road from it. Nice. And it is it is absolutely inspired different performance characteristics in titanium. So I'm I'm playing, you know, good versus evil or one versus the other, however you want to look at whichever team you choose to join. That's I'm I'm the guy that's that you know, and, and playing those games and, and one advancing because of the other and, and I think that's one of the real benefits of my job today. Yeah, absolutely. If people are looking to purchase a light speed bike, is that directly through you or is there a dealer network they would go through? Both, both. Yeah, that's that's something that, you know, we love our our longstanding dealers and and honor them in every way possible. We try to drive business through their doors as the Obed brand was created. You know, we've we've been forced out of a lot of shops with light speed just just due to the business dynamics that the bigger players have created in shops today and that's unfortunate. So in creating the new brand, we, we made that consumer direct, whereas Lightspeed also is available consumer direct in, in areas that that's necessary or even desired because sometimes a Lightspeed dealer in town isn't the service provider for someone that's interested in a Lightspeed. And, you know, so we, we try to make everyone happy there and, and work, work openly. Nice. Yeah. And then you mentioned being out at BWR. North Carolina, and then also out in Emporia and Kansas for Unbound. Yeah. Are the teams traveling to other events this year if gravel cyclists are looking to find you and test some of these bikes? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Once again, I, I feel like one of the luckiest people on earth. I will have been in Kansas. We'll have been at BWR Asheville. Next stop will likely be SBT, be on Steamboat. And yeah, from that point on, we're, we're a little bit flexible just based on a lot of uh, event obligations that, that our our true event team has on their schedule because we do support a lot of events within cycling and triathlon. And we have, we have a good team of folks that, that work on that on a week. Right on. Well, I'll make sure that the listener has in the show notes, the websites and social handles to make sure they yeah, know how to get in touch Please do with you. jump on the, jump on the websites. We keep, we keep live chat open. And, uh, you know, if, if we're not 
in-house, those questions get answered first thing in the morning. And then it's always best to catch someone live. And, and I, I love the dynamic. As listeners may not have heard in our conversation earlier, our business has, has completely changed in the past couple of years. How we've chosen to, to try to really link directly with consumers and, and provide direct answers, it's, it's, it's been a, a big growth for us. And uh, yeah. we want to hear every issue. We want to know every squeak, every rattle, every great story. That's that's something that we weren't doing when we were wholly working through bike shops with Lightspeed. And um, we're better engaged with our consumers today. And, and that really inspires our product development. And uh, I, I try to keep those channels completely open as well. But But we do like to communicate and answer every single question. Yeah, that's great to hear. I'm sure it garners a lot of support from the cycling community just to be able to, you know, chat someone or pick up the phone and talk to someone. I feel like for me as a consumer, you know, it just makes you feel that much more connected with the brand. We hope so. That's, you know, as as passionate cyclists, that's that's how we want to be treated and so that's that's what we aim to do. Amazing. Well, I appreciate all the time, Brad, and I appreciate your sort of lifetime, your career of putting energy into making all these fun bikes for riders around the world. Thank you, Craig. You're a, you're a giver, brother. You are a true giver and much respect to you and, and what you provide. Right on. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Gravel Ride Podcast. Huge thanks for Brad coming on the show. Appreciate everything he's done in the world of gravel cycling and cycling in general with Lightspeed and the new Obid brand. Huge thanks to Trek Travel for joining us as a sponsor. I'm very excited to join the Girona Gravel Bike Tour November 6th through 10th this year, and you're all invited to come with me. Check out the link in the show notes and join me for a little Spanish gravel. If you're interested in connecting with me or have any questions about that Girona trip, come on over to The Ridership. That's www.theridership.com. It's a free online cycling community. You can connect with riders all over the world and discuss routes, equipment, anything that's relevant to gravel cycling. It's been a really fun exercise seeing that community grow and seeing the conversations that happen in my absence. If you're able to support the podcast, please visit buymeacoffee.com slash the gravel ride. And until next time, here's to finding some dirt under your wheels. 